Welcome to the Books for Athletes podcast with your host, the publisher, Mr. Kelly Cole. Mr. Cole, a former athlete and best-selling author himself, has set out to take you behind the scenes of some of sports' forgotten heroes. He sits down with former professional athletes, college athletes, and sports coaches as they share stories of triumph, defeat, dedication, and perseverance. Here's Kelly. What's up, everybody? It's the publisher here, Mr. Kelly Cole, back with another episode of the Books for Athletes podcast. And today I got a special, special, special guest. If you know me, I'm from Chicago, grew up in Chicago, um, Bulls through and through, Bears through and through, Cubs through and through, Blackhawks through and through. I got a Chicago Bull with me today, my man, Scott Williams. What's up, Scott? What is going on, Kelly? I'm happy to be on your pod today. I'm very excited. Uh, you have outdone yourself uh, and delivered me the book that I could only have uh, dreamt and envisioned the way it would come out, the way you've done the cover art uh, and walked me through these final steps of uh, the administrative process of getting it uh, on Amazon. I, I can't believe I'm, I can tell my my friends uh, in my family that uh, their boy is a published author now, so it's got a good ring to it. I'm feeling I'm feeling quite proud of myself, and along with uh, Ben Guest, who helped me through this uh, this process, which wasn't easy for me. Uh, it's a, it was a traumatic experience that I suffered years ago, uh, and it took me a long time to open up and talk about it. But as uh, my old college coach Dean Smith would say. It's never too late to do the right thing. And I think by doing this and, and giving some of the proceeds to a couple of domestic violence centers, uh, in a way, I feel like I'm honoring my mother. That's awesome, man. So let's get into it. So how long have you wanted to write the book? Let's start there. How long have you wanted to write this book? Well, you know, I never considered myself an author. Uh, I've never had dreams of writing a book or anything of that nature. I have shared my story a few times uh, in some public speaking for some charity events for the Domestic Violence Center in Cleveland, one here in uh, the Scottsdale, Phoenix area where I currently live. And there's been a number of people that have asked me to, to do it, but I never gave it much consideration until the pandemic hit in uh, late March of 2020. Mm -hmm. And we were all kind of missing our sports as everything was shut down. All the leagues were shut, shuttered. And um, Michael Jordan uh, released his documentary is 10-part documentary the last dance right. and although i wasn't prominently featured on there i was glad that he went back and talked about a lot of the teams from the uh early 90s when he first got started so that first repeat so to speak i like to call it the first dance and my kids started watching and we we're connecting with some former teammates like will purdue and stacy king and bj armstrong cliff levinston i had talked to those cats and so long so it got me reminiscent about uh, how I got started in the league and being undrafted and playing at North Carolina and the tra tragedy that I suffered there with my dad killing my mom and, and uh, then turning the gun on himself and Coach Smith and the North Carolina family wrapping that warm blanket around me. These memories just came flooding back to me, some some uh, you know real positive and some that were uh, traumatic, you know, and thought about, you know, Michael when he was talking about his father that was taken from him on the roadside in North Carolina by a couple guys trying to grab his car and his watch and how I never reached out to him and, and, and tried to share that pain and that experience that I had 
and losing my mother to a murder. So yeah. I wanted to start putting it on paper. I just started messing around uh, stuff on social media at first and went, got some positive feedback and yeah. thought, you know what, maybe I will stop here and then, and then write a book and do it the right way. Uh, and realize, okay, I need some help. <laughs> and that's when I found Ben, who was working on a book and wanted some help of his own with his book. And I said, okay, I'll help you with your book if you turn around and help me with mine. So over the course of two years, because I had to put it down a lot because it was just too much for me. But over the course of two years, you know, him knowing when to push me and when to back off, we finally have completed this process. And I think it's something that uh, we both can be uh, real proud of. That's good. So talk about like, how did you get through um, discussing the parts that was tough for you in the book, like about your mom and losing your mom? So talk about that relationship and some of the things that you saw as a kid before you get to the tragedy. Yeah. You know, I, I we grew up in a household in Southern California, um, middle income family. You know, you can get the three car garage and a swimming pool in the backyard and a hoop over the driveway. and a, a nice suburban community. And um, you thought life was good, you know, the Cadillac in the driveway, mom drove a money green Volvo. And uh, from the out, from the exterior, everything appeared to be real good, but it was the demon inside. And my dad, who um, I believe was depressed uh, and suffered a lot of abuse as a child himself, uh, watched his mother be abused and he and his siblings. And he passed that towards my mom and me and my brother, Albert. And, you know, I remember a lot of times having to sneak out of the house for fear of, uh, you know, we're not talking spankings uh, mm-hmm. when we messed up. We're talking beatings for no reason other than the fact that he was not, a, he, was un, he was unwell uh, and unhappy. I think he had a my brother at the age of 21, Oh, excuse me, at the, uh, I take that back. At the age of um, 20, 19, 19. Wow. Um, and um, you meet me, me three years after that. So a lot of his early 20s and mid 20s, now he's a family man. Back in those days, I think the, they, you know, everyone thought, well, you need to get married if you get a, a young gal pregnant. And so mm-hmm. my mother had my brother at 18 and me at 21. And he resented this. And that he couldn't go out and do some of the things that his other buddies were doing. And um, it took a lot of that anger and frustration out on us, a lot of verbal abuse, telling us we would never, you know, be anything and uh, weren't going to mount anything and weren't SHIT, that sort of, you know, harsh rhetoric. And this is coming from, a, you know, someone that's supposed to think you're going to love and support you. Yeah. And uh, that was that was very difficult for us, for, for especially for my brother. He was a junior. And um, he never fully recovered from that, unfortunately. I tried as much as I could to try to help him as I got older and on into the college and the MBA, but uh, I'm no professional. So uh, that's that's just, um, I don't know where he is today. We have not spoken in almost two decades now. Wow. So to answer your question, that was a long story to answer. I never really did answer your question, Kelly. It was Coach Smith. Being at the University of North Carolina, well, that was the best decision I ever made when I signed there and, and followed um, 
my mother's lead uh, and directed me to go to North Carolina. She wanted me away from Southern California. I always wanted to kind of go to UCLA and she directed me towards North Carolina and coach Smith because she knew what a good man he was. She knew that he would always watch out for me, regardless of what my basketball abilities ever amounted to be, whether I went on to be a superstar in college or never played, you know, any, any off the bench or in the league or anything. So um, she sensed that right away and, and true to his word, he promised me a quality education, uh, and I'd be a better man when I left the program. And I think he delivered on both of those, uh, but it was his, his willingness to step up in a fatherly figure role, uh, the people that he surrounded himself on through his uh, coaching staff, uh, and administration in the basketball, we call it the Carolina basketball family, former players, uh, the SID AD, uh, everybody involved um, knew the Coach Smith way. And that was so important to me to have that uh, support system around me. And my teammates also um, got me through some real you know, tough and difficult and dark, and dark times. Yeah. So you talk about it in the book, um, how when you got that call, were you at practice or something? Or was it after a game or what happened? So what happened when you got that call? Hey, it's the publisher here, Mr. Kelly Cole. Listen, if you are a former professional athlete, if you are a former college athlete or sports coach, and you're looking to launch your speaking career, let me tell you, you need a book. If you're already out there speaking and you want to track more high-paid speaking engagements, you need a book. It's not about creating more content to post on social media. It's not about recording a bunch of videos. It's not about doing more podcasts. The number one secret to attracting more high-paid speaking engagements or even launching your speaking career is a book. Hey, I'm the publisher, Mr. Kelly Cole, and I help former athletes and sports coaches create best-selling books in 30 days to launch their speaking career, even if they hate writing and don't know where to start. So for the first time ever, I've created a free case study video that will not only show you how to write a book from scratch in a little as 30 days and become a best-selling author, it will also show you how to attract more high-paid speaking engagements. Now, to check out this free case study video, click the link that says learn more or go to booksforathletes.com. Real quick before you go, do not go if you're not a former athlete or sports coach because you won't find any value in what I'm about to share. And don't go if your book is already out and already on Amazon. You won't find any value in what I share over there. But if you are a former athlete or sports coach, know that you need a book or um, already out there speaking and you want to launch your speaking career, go check out that link now. Writing a book is not as hard as you think. It doesn't even matter if you don't know where to start. My case study video will show you how to start and get it done and onto the bestsellers list. So go now. Yeah, I was uh, preparing for class. It was early in the morning and uh, found Coach Smith on my uh, knocking on my door. My roommate, you know, we were in our sophomore, going to start our sophomore season. It was the first day of what would have been practice on uh, October 15th, as it falls. Wow. And, um, JD, my roommate Jeff Denny, tells me that Coach Smith's here to see me. Well, <laughs> Coach Smith had never stopped by the dormitories, uh, and certainly not at 7 a.m. Right. So I, I, my mind starts racing. I screwed up somehow, some way, in a big way, that this didn't wait till later in the afternoon. We, when I shut up on practice, 
And, uh, you know, he delivered the news to me, asked Jeff to step out. And he told me that, you know, my my dad had found my mom who had moved out of the house uh, during my freshman year um, and took an apartment across town. And he found her waiting. He was waiting for uh, with a 44 Magnum and shot her four times, man. And uh, she survived that for a short period of time onto the hospital, but then succumbed to her injuries. Um uh, within within a few hours after that but um you know that was devastating I coach Smith could do nothing but just hold me and as we said I sat on the dorm uh the bedroom and and my messy little dorm room there and uh try to console me but uh even a man as brilliant as um coach Smith couldn't find the find words to, to say a whole lot at the time but it got me on a plane and I was off to California and a lot of it is a blur uh, after that. And I had to talk to uh, some assistant coaches and uh, a lady that uh, traveled with me to help support me, get me to California, Lillian Lee, who I write about in the book, who uh, had me over home many times after that for some home cooked meals, along with my uh, college roommates, parents as well, Herman and Sue Denny. They, they really looked out for, for me during my, remaining three years there and um at the university of north carolina gotcha so it was the like you said the unc family that helped get you through that so how long were you away before you came back and start playing again i was about a week at uh you know at those things they take a while to organize the services and the memorials and uh we had actually had two separate services and memorials for my father and my mother and um uh, yeah, but about a week later, I went. I jumped back on a plane and flew back to California, and um, excuse me, flew back to North Carolina from California, and uh, resumed the team. And I had talked to Coach Smith about possibility of uh, sitting out of practice. You know, I said maybe taking out the taking out the taking the season off rather, uh, and he flatly said no. <laughs> wow. I think he wanted me close to him. I mean, I wasn't one hundred percent sure. I I was having you know no sleep at nights and. Didn't know how I was going to be able to physically handle the demands of a uh, a Dean Smith practice. Yeah, As he worked us. He worked our tails off, man. It wasn't like these kids today to just roll the balls out, get some shots up, and walk through the motions, man. We we ran and ran and ran some more and drilled and uh, it was physical. And I had you know teammates that were McDonald's All Americans fighting for playing time. And but it turned out to be the best thing for me. It was about that time on the court. I had to lock in to uh, what he was teaching and what he was telling me and uh, just try to keep my breath and survive as I was, you know, sometimes it's just on a, an hour or two of sleep. So uh, it was very demanding, very hard, and, and then trying to concentrate in school. And um, they got me through it with a, a lot of help from the assistant coaches and uh, and uh, faculty and, and uh, studying, studying partners and and tutors. So uh, it turned out to be the best thing for me not to sit out the room. I think Coach Smith knew if I had sat out the room, I'd be apart from my, my teammates and him. And I probably would have drifted and not achieved my goals of graduating or being the best I could have been on the court. So it was a, it was the right thing. I agree. I agree. I was going to say this for later, but what does um, Coach Smith mean to you? Like, what does he mean to you as a man? Everything. Um, man saved my life. Uh, I tell you quite honestly. That was something I was a 19 years old at the time. And I was a young 19. I was just fun, love, fun, loving and going and eat in an easy spirit. And I 
wasn't expect, you know, I didn't expect, I thought, yeah, I'm McDonald's All-American. I'm on campus at the University of North Carolina, a team we just went 14 and 0 in the ACC, won the ACC regular season championship the year before, our future's bright, life is all good. Uh, and then you step on a landmine like that, you know, you just, um, being able to talk to him, sit in his office, talk about life. And, you know, he told me about his struggles as a young man growing up when his father was a preacher and, um, a coach and, and trying to, uh, not let his father's down in his eyes. And I shared my experiences about worried how people would judge and view me from my father and what the evil that was inside of him. And we talked just as friends, as brothers, as, yeah. as men and, uh, left some of the basketball stuff down on the court. And yeah. that was, that was quite helpful for me. Uh, it really helped lift my spirits as somebody that I could connect with. And I knew how busy he was. And he always had a, about seven stacks of paper, uh, more than about uh, 18 inches high, stuff that he needed to do, correspondence. He was so good at talking to former teammates and alumni and fans and faculty. That, uh, But he always had time for me and the rest of my teammates, for that matter, for whatever they might have been going through at the time. So... He, he was a father figure in every sense of the word. I just didn't sign. He didn't just sign on to be our coaches. Uh, he signed on to be uh, somebody that we could count on, rely on, and uh, get love and support from. That's awesome, man. So you finish out, graduate UNC, you go undrafted. How did you make it to the league and ultimately playing for the Bulls? Yeah, you know, uh, it was another one of those things that was a bit of a shocker to me and kind of knocked me back on my keister. I, I had an appendectomy sur surgery going my senior year, kind of a couple, uh, a few days into practice. Mm -hmm. uh, so it really slowed some of my getting ready for the season. And we were out in Hawaii and I wasn't supposed to be playing. And uh, um, I missed a, missed a game, but then I was out snorkeling or scuba diving with some of my buddies. And they were like, yeah, you're ready. Come on. Uh, so I talked to the dra the training staff and the doctors. They allowed me to start competing again after my surgery a couple weeks prior to what uh, they had anticipated me being ready for. It took me a while to find my groove, but uh, by the final third of the season, I was doing quite well. I was, you know, squelling well over 20 points and uh, in the multiple games and had a career high. And I thought for sure the way the announcers were talking to me up on during some of the broadcasts, that would yeah. be a mid to late lottery pick. Uh, in the first round. Well, <laughs> didn't happen. So it worked out so well because I had a bad shoulder that used to dislocate uh, during days of practice. I'd snap it back in old uh, Mel Gibson from Lethal Weapon style. And I never missed a game of practice, hardly a few, maybe a few minutes of a, a game if it happened during a basketball game, but never anything that knocked me out for any length of time. But uh, as the NBA goes, I mean, man, you're, you're, you're a piece of meat. And when I did the combine, all the doctors were pulling on my shoulder and saw it was unstable. So I went undrafted on draft night, not in the first round of the lottery, not in the first round, not even in the second round. Uh, and I had to basically one small window that was rapidly shutting to try to make it onto a summer league roster. And the good news was a lot of the cats that were drafted in front of me, I knew I was better than them. Uh, so there was no question. I said, if these guys get drafted, I just see that opportunity. Well, that opportunity came in a pickup game in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is only about an hour from, from Chapel Hill. 
And I got uh, to be invited to that. It was Michael Jordan putting on a camp with Fred Whitfield for a bunch of uh, underprivileged kids that they couldn't afford camp. So they'd raise money with this pickup game. And he, Michael would invite a number of pro guys that he either played with or that were down in Charlotte or the surrounding area. So I jumped at that opportunity. I said, if I'm going to compete with the pro guys, I got to get in there and get battle tested against them. And I won't say I dominated the game, but I played well enough to earn MJ's respect. Uh, and I was on his team. So he called Jerry Krause after the ball game and said, why don't you give Williams a look-see? I think he might be able to help us. Because they had lost mm -hmm. Charles Oakley that summer and uh, a couple other guys hadn't worked out. So I got invited to summer camp, did well enough in summer camp to get invited back to uh, the veterans camp in October. And there was about seven of us trying out for – uh, the 12th spot on the team, the 12th and final spot on the team is they had 11 guys firmly under contract. And uh, I was able to beat out those guys that were riding in the van from the Holiday Inn, so to speak, over to the uh, practice every day till I was the last guy in the van. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was no press conference. Phil Jackson did come shake my hand and say, you made the squad. I just kept practicing like I had done Every day prior to that, you know, and right. those those practices were brutal. Jordan was trying to win a championship, man. He hadn't won nothing up until that point. He, Pistons had their number, had smacked him upside the head with a bag of nickels for the three previous seasons. So when I tell you it was a war, it was a battle every day, twice a day or eight days straight. Uh, we knocked the snot out of one, one another, but – I gained a lot of experience with the veterans that I had on that squad real quickly. I picked up Phil Jackson's triangle system. And um, as they say, the rest is history. By the end of the season, I was playing against the Los Angeles Lakers, a team I grew up idolizing, rooting for right. guys like Magic Johnson and James Worthy, who I've tried to pattern my game off after <laughs> I came up well short of that. I mean, that's not going to be obvious about, honest about that one. But, uh, uh, yeah, I was out there competing against those cats, blocking Johnson's shot and, and uh, you know, Dean up on uh, Worthy when I got cross-matched on to him. I thought it was the greatest thing ever and uh, winning a championship out in California in a place that I had uh, – you know, gone to basketball games and tried to sneak down from up in the rafters and get close to the players on the court side. And then I'm out there on the court doing it, man. It was it was a, it was surreal. And I cried thinking I wish my mother could be here to see um, me now. Yeah, man, I can I can relate to that statement, man. I lost my mom this past um, Thanksgiving. So oh, sorry. Like, as I, you know, accomplished things like even, you know, getting the opportunity to do your book. Like I wish I could tell my mom because like every good thing. I'm like, dang, I want to call my mom, but so I can yeah. relate to that, man. So, um, so winning, like becoming a rookie, not being drafted, becoming a rookie, making the Bulls, and then winning a championship. Like, what was that like? I know you said you cried, but what was that like when you sat down and you took it all in? Uh, it was it was the greatest feeling that I'd ever had in my entire life. I had some great moments in North Carolina with my teammates and Coach Smith and winning the ACC championship in 89 and, you know, going to Cameron Indoor when they were number one and shutting those uh, Cameron crazies up and, you know, knocking off Danny Ferry was the number one player of the year. I mean, I thought that was the best. We went back on to Frank uh, to Chapel Hill right after the game and, partied on Franklin street. It was, you know, a big bonfire in the street. And I remember having like a 12 pack of beer on my shoulder. Like it was a ghetto blaster, just passing out, you know, cans of beer to people left and right. And, you know, I thought that was going to be, you know, the highlight of my basketball accomplishments, 
But winning an NBA championship, I'm telling you, even even <laughs> I tell my son this, even my who's my eldest at 21 now, even his birth, uh, and and I don't want to say this first, being a father has been my greatest accomplishment and has given me the biggest sense of pride. But for that one single moment, uh, <laughs> one for one night, <laughs> sorry, Benjamin, but winning that championship with Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls. Uh, it's, it's something that I can't hardly put into words. You know, sex is better than sex, drugs, alcohol, uh, fancy cars. It, it is the greatest moment that you can't really quantify uh, and what it does to you in a body and the high, the ultimate high that it gives you. It's just, it's euphoric. You just, you can't really put it into words. Even when I, I try to put pen to paper in this book to describe it, um, I can't do it justice. Yo, what up? It's your girl, JC. And listen, I have to send a special shout out to my guy, Mr. Kelly Cole, and the entire team at Publishing Advantage Group and Books for Athletes. They took so great care of me to the point that I know I'm the pickiest person. This book was supposed to have been finished last summer. However, there were some details that I needed to make sure that the book had because my audience needed it. And, you know, when it comes down to feeding and serving the people, especially as a former athlete and telling your story, you know you cannot be selfish with the material and give it away. And they worked with me from the time of my thought process to the time of conception all the way down to now top 20 hot release best-selling author on Amazon in 24 hours. Listen, if you're an athlete, you have a story to tell, and you don't know how to put it in book form just yet don't worry you're not alone okay hit my guy mr kelly cole and tell him what you're trying to do and i promise you he gonna get you right all right and of course check me out on amazon after the season shout out to the books for athletes family that's good man so there's a story in the book about you asking michael jordan for some shoes oh yeah hey can i, can I hold up the book cover yeah, too, by the, the way I, I want people to see what a great job you did on on this cover see the three championship rings on there y'all Kelly <laughs> Cole, y'all. <laughs> Dope, man. So um, tell us about this story you asking Michael Jordan for some shoes. <laughs> well, you know, when you're kind of an undrafted free a uh, rookie free agent, even your even your your own age, your own sports agent, you won't even return my phone calls, right? I tell this cat, I go, hey, you know, I've I'm out here and the camp is hard and the shoes are getting, you know, the leather's starting to stretch and, and they're getting worn down. And I feel like I have to compete at the best level. I'm slipping, I'm sliding. And I go, I, I need some new kicks. And he's not even returning my calls. So it dawns on me. They put me by the biggest shoe salesman in the history of the world for that matter. I go to Mike, I go fellow Tar Heel. You know, he's always wearing his Carolina uh, gym shorts underneath his game shorts and his practice shorts. I go to MJ. I go, MJ, you know, my shoes are uh, looking a little, you know, uh, ratty. You think you can help me uh, get some new shoes? And he goes, no problem. So the next day, the next day, and this was, you know, after practice, probably about 12 o'clock. The next day, I had a dozen, uh, half a dozen pairs of shoes. All bunch, all the flyest Nike gear. Nike back in the day, still to this day, in my opinion, still got the best, the best gear. That's they had the hottest apparel uh, on uh, going at the time. So not only was I able to perform on on the court, I was looking good in Chicago uh, as well. So uh, MJ looked out for me, but I noticed I go that everything was from their force line, right? So I go, hey, hey, hey Mike. You know, why didn't you put some Air Jordans in there, man? I, I'll wear these 
uh, to support you, right? You know, a little thank you for giving me, giving me the shoes. <laughs> and with a big old smile, he goes, Scott, you'd be trying to help me, but you'd only be hurting my brand. <laughs> I guess I wasn't the high flyer. <laughs> he needed me to be. But he, he said it in jest. You know, he, he's a big time joker. I knew he didn't mean it to be spirited away, but I'm sure I'm sure at the back of his head, he probably thought there was some truth to it, too. And and at the time, though, you know, this is 1990. There were no other players that could wear Jordans. They wouldn't send them to any other any other players. And it wasn't until even later that dudes would go out and buy their own Jordans and go in and wear them in the game. Like these are guys that have access to free shoes and got contracts, but they they wanted to wear the Jordan brand, but Jordan wouldn't send them to them. So they'd go buy their own and wear them in, in the games and so and so forth. I think I can't remember when he finally opened it up where he had, you know, kind of the team Jordan thing and he'd have sponsored guys throughout the different teams, but you had to be, you know, uh uh, at minimum, a uh, NBA All Star or uh, you know a, fir a first or second team All NBA or to have that privilege to be able to wear the Jordan brand. <laughs> That's awesome. So they could go buy them and wear them, and it wouldn't be a problem. But he wasn't giving them out. Yeah, well, yeah, you you can't stop a guy from buying your shoe and wear them in the game. So that's kind of how it was. We had a couple, they had a couple rebels that just said, "I'm gonna do what I want to do," right? But he 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 didn't like it that they were doing it at first. Mm. Yeah, so he he, but uh, you know, he he didn't try to shut it down. Nothing he could do about that. But yeah, then then cats were like I said, afforded the opportunity to do that. Now, I mean, I don't know how many pairs of Nikes you know this cat is selling. I heard there was. Uh, something like a hundred thousand pairs he, he sells on a weekly basis. You know, it's it's a crazy number. Crazy. So, so how much you brought up the last dance, which I loved it. You know, I watch it over and over and over again. That was it was special. That was a that, that saved me for those those days and because uh, I'd moved back to Austin and, and right after I got there, everything shut down, so I didn't know a whole lot of people. So every Sunday. I'd make my, you know, my, well, okay, what, what meal am I going to have? I'm going to get Maggiano's. I'm going to get the, the chicken parm. And I'm going to pair that with a nice, you know, Cabernet. And I'm going to sit, you know, lock in for those two hours while those back-to-back -back episodes were, uh, uh, were on. It was, that, that, that was, the, that was the thing back then. That's it, man. How much of it was legit? Like, did you like it? Because um, I heard a lot of players, they didn't like it or they said like certain things was fabricated and all of that. What what were your take on it? Everything that I knew was going on when I was there, the 91 to 93 with him uh, was legit. You know, all this, all the hard talk that surrounded Jerry Krause and how he behaved and uh, some of the things he said about Tony Kukoc and, uh, you know, the, that um, players don't win championship organizations win championships yeah. you know always trying to act like he was the little king around uh the players yeah he, he had a little napoleon context he's small little guy five two five three you know as wide as wide as he was tall um you know i i, I got had a kind of a bitter sweet relationship with him because in one aspect, he gave me my shot in the league, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm always I'm always grateful and thankful for that. But he shot himself in the foot with me when he went and told Coach Smith one day that uh, uh, I was out doing some stuff that made himself made myself the organization of North Carolina and, and Chicago Bulls as a city look bad. And mm -hmm. I went, 
that was untrue. And all you needed to do was come to me and we could have rectified that situation. Making me look bad in front of Coach Smith was a huge, huge mistake for Jerry Krause because I never for, I never forgave him uh, for that. that. Coach Smith was somebody that I idolized. And when Coach Smith brought it to me, he told me I don't believe him. Um, and I told him to go give you a drug test. It was about drugs, right? So I'll just make a plan. It was about drugs. And I... I've never done anything back in the day. I certainly didn't smoke no weed, nothing like that. So uh, I was hot. I was waiting for Krause the next day at the office. Uh, when he when he showed up, I was ready to wring his little neck and told him I'll pass any drug test you want right now. You know that that wasn't that wasn't me. That was my, my behavior. Who'd you hear this from? And you know, then he tried to get all oh defense. Oh, I was anonymous source. I can't tell you this, that, and the other. I was, you know, you know that's total bullshit. Um, but I, I I never let that I never let that go, um, and I know he's not here with us anymore. And I didn't include that in the books, and no sense of beating a man that's not here anymore. But uh, I never appreciated that, and um, it was tough for me. And I never I ne and he never apologized for it. More importantly, I probably could have worked my way past it had he just apologized. But he stuck to his guns, uh, and uh, that that was that wasn't right. Even as a young what was I twenty three years old, uh, I knew he owed me an apology, and I didn't get it. For sure. Yeah, man, that's crazy. That's great. So do you still have all your rings? Yeah, you know, all the rings, I, I go, some of the rings I, I don't wear, like the 91 ring, I, I just, whatever. I gave that one up with a bunch of memorabilia and stuff. But the 92 ring was special to me because this is the year that I felt as though from start to begin, from start to finish, I had a hand in winning that championship. Mm -hmm. Like 91, you know, I, there was some games early in the season and I just made the team. I might have set three, four games in a row, and that had never happened to me at any level. Uh, so that one kind of hurt me. But I kept working hard, kept my head down, and kept digging hard, and, you know, I was playing against the playoffs and the, and the, uh, the Pistons in the playoffs and the Lakers. I told you we won the, we won the finals. But the 92 is kind of where the book starts because that was special to me. You know, start to finish, I'd worked myself into the rotation, um, played through a show. I, was, I got my shoulder fixed that summer, and uh, – those suckers, Krause, again, he locked me out of the training facility, wouldn't let me practice with the team for the first couple of weeks. Uh, so I had to sneak into practice between the morning session and the afternoon session, sneak into the training facility, rather, and play with, the, like, the lawyers uh, and the dentist and, and all the uh, all the doctors uh, that would be playing on their lunch break. At the, we practiced at a health club. So I'd play the point like Magic Johnson. I'd come down. Uh, I got one of my championship rings on right here, 92, as a matter of fact. I love it so much. So I come down and, and play the point, get the assist, get a sweat, get the ball in my hand uh, so I would stay sharp when finally they allowed me to come back and rejoin the team. Uh, so I, I thought I persevered through a lot that year. I dislocated a uh, fang, uh, finger that I had done some ligament damage to that needed surgery. Uh, and I was firmly in the rotation. I said, nope, just buddy tape that up. It's still all mangled to this day as a result um, and arthritic. But that one meant the most to me. And uh, it, it's a probably the only one that you probably ever catch me wearing. It's the right shape, the right size, and sentimentally, um, that's when I had my epiphany that I could play in this league as long as I want. If I can suffer through all that I had done the two previous years um, for an unrestricted uh, free agent, just to even, you know, get an invitation to a camp is hard enough, let alone stick 
stick in the league when you're going against guys that are making, you know, millions of dollars, you know, more than you, and you're beating them out of their playing rotation because you have a value to the program. Uh, that meant so much more to me than anything else. Gotcha. So you ended up playing 14 or 15 years? How many years? 15 years all total. Uh, I had the good fortune of playing with a lot of Hall of Fame coaches in between that time and a lot of Hall of Fame players. Uh, more than I can, I sometimes count them up, and I, I you know, it's, it's, I think we're close to double digits of players and coaches. And I took a lot from all of them. Um, I think it helped me as a broadcaster. It helped me as a coach during I was coaching the D League and in the NBA. Uh, and I think I think it really um, it it means a lot to me as a man that uh, you know I started with Michael Jordan. Uh, and I had a long career and I finished with LeBron James at Cleveland and he was going into his second year. And I saw a lot in the work ethic of LeBron James that I saw in that 1990s Michael Jordan, that hunger, that thirst to want to be the best. Now, he wasn't. <laughs> and I'm going to sit here and lie to you and tell you I thought this kid was going to go on to be the all-time NBA leading scorer. I didn't see all that. <laughs> so I probably wouldn't have been a great general manager, but – uh, I knew he had the, I knew he had the drive to succeed. Uh, you know, he had the raw athletic ability. Um, but the, the way he has improved his game, you know, I think every summer for about those first six, seven years to put him on the top of uh, the top of the NBA landscape for what is he going into his 18th, 19th year? I don't even know what, how long he's been in the league now. I've kind of forgotten. Maybe it's his 20, but, uh, I'm quite proud that, um, uh, you know, some of the conversations that I had with him on team planes and, and buses when he would ask me about guys, you know, what was MJ like in practice? You know, how did Scotty raise his game from 92 to 93? And I told him, you know, after playing with the dream team and playing with those guys like Magic and Carl Malone and seeing what they do, because Scotty was good mm -hmm. in uh, 91 and 92. But it was when he came back from that Olympic experience in 93 is when he really skyrocketed. Uh, to you know, be one of the top ten players in the league. Good stuff. So hey, here it is. You play with both of them. Who's the goat? You talk about it in the book. I want to hear it right here on the podcast. <laughs> am I going to give it? Am I going to give it away so they don't buy the book? That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to figure out. No, no not, I've, I've talked you. about. I've talked about it on other pods and back, uh, for, for as long as I can remember. Listen, MJ put three rings on my finger. He went to the University of North Carolina. <laughs> he got me shoes when I needed them back in 1990. I owe that man. But regardless of all that, I love both those players. I think that they they have represented themselves, uh, their families, and the game of basketball and the NBA at, at the highest level without any missteps. To me, they're one and one A. I don't think they calling one the goat and the other is not as a slap uh, on the other player. But here it is. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. And I say that because of one factor and it's hard to quantify it's an x factor it's it's like when you were in cleveland and we arrive at 2 a.m the, the night before after playing in, in chicago and there's that fan that's in the richfield coliseum that drove through a blizzard to get to the game the next day and michael goes out there and drops 35 or 40 points 
uh, and flat out embarrasses whoever is in front of him, wanting that fan and all those other fans to know that they witnessed the greatest player to ever put on a pair of basketball shoes. Yeah. And he did that every night from arena to arena. Didn't matter if he dropped, you know, he was tired coming out of a Madison square garden and we were playing in Indiana or the fourth game in five nights. That was his attitude that when a player drove home after the game, they have to face him, Michael Jordan, he wouldn't even go home and sleep about beating Michael Jordan at his, and his wildest dreams. He would have humili humili humiliated them uh, and gave them such a beat down that even the friends and their family would go, wow, <laughs> that dude's way better than you. Wow. <laughs> MJ, and, 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 and that's, not a, that's not a slap on LeBron. LeBron wanted to win just as bad, but he didn't have that, I want to embarrass you, gear. I yeah. want you to not ever think you right. as good as me, not half as good as me. Yeah. Uh, and MJ and, and uh, LeBron didn't have that. And, you know, they're both clutch. They both made huge shots. They both won championships. Um, like I said, they both have represented the game. But it was it was just that one little something that Michael had that I described that uh, LeBron doesn't have that yeah. makes him the, the, the greatest of all time for me. You know, I agree 100 percent. I mean, <laughs> that wasn't for me. I just wanted more people to hear it. But um, last thing, man. So last thing we talked about, you touched on a little bit, but say it for the podcast. What was it like working with books for athletes? And would you recommend other athletes work with us? Kelly, books for athletes is probably the best thing I stumbled across towards the end of this process of writing this with Ben Guest. I have been so pleasantly uh, pleased with the way you have stepped me through the final processes of getting my book on Amazon, where we are currently ranked the number one uh, number. That's right. The number one new release after just yeah, 24 hours uh, on Amazon. So I can't thank you enough and your team for all you guys have done to, to help me achieve my goal of being a published author. Dope, man. You see that spot right there with that jersey next to that LSU jersey? That's where yours is going. <laughs> I like that. Say, save me that spot. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get you on ASAP. I got you, man. But appreciate it, brother. So where can they get the book? Where can people contact you? You got any announcements, anything you want to share before we get out of here? Well, I appreciate this opportunity, first of all, to be on your pod. Uh, my book right now is on Amazon. You can go on and find it uh, through the fire. A memoir of trauma and loss, basketball and triumph. Um, just click on if you if you can't remember that, just remember my name and basketball, and it'll pop right up. Um, there's there'll be a link on my all my social medias, which is pretty much easy to find me on on uh, Facebook at Scott Will forty two on Instagram. And uh, yeah, that, I I hope you enjoy the book. The, the great thing about the book, in my opinion, is. You know, like I said, it, it's never too late to do the right thing. Yeah. And I probably should have done this a long time ago, but it was just too dramatic for me. But I realize now the book is raw. I get, get real emotional and, and tell, tell it like it is. And I'm hoping that the book will help some young people that may be suffering uh, some of the things that I have. Verbal abuse, physical abuse uh, from uh, could be from anyone, a loved one, a coach, a friend that will realize that if, if Scott Williams with my, my limited uh, abilities, but just hard work and ethic can achieve the same things that I did 
And a good portion of proceeds are going to go to a couple of domestic violence centers that I have earmarked here in Phoenix that I've worked with uh, and one in, in Chapel Hill that I'm establishing a relationship uh, kind of to honor Coach Smith and the Carolina family out there. So I'm real proud of, of being able to support those. we got a book signing coming up in uh, Chapel Hill on Franklin Street at Chapel Hill Sportswear on April 15th that I know you're going to try to be at. Oh, and uh, look forward to a number of other pods and some local podcasts as well. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much, Scott, man. Like I said, this is like a dream come true for me to work with the Bulls, man. I'm telling you, I love it, man. So I appreciate you. Appreciate the opportunity to work with you and appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thanks, Kelly. All right, man. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Books for Athletes podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, and leaving us reviews. And be sure, if you're interested and you want to get your book done, make sure you check out our free case study video at www.booksforathletes.com. Also, if you'd like for me to come to speak to your students or you're having an event and you need a speaker, I would love to be a part of it. Just shoot me an email at booksforathletes.com. Until then, we'll see you on the next episode.